We're going to continue on tonight in the series uh, um, on community. Uh, Melissa spoke a couple of weeks ago, and Tony has, has done a couple of weeks in community, and we'll continue that. The title of tonight's message, if you will, is this. This is life. That's the title. This is life. And I'm following in Tony's footsteps here doing a sermon and a sentence. And here it is. A life lived in community is a life lived in devotion, duty, and destiny. A life lived in community is a life lived in devotion, duty, and destiny. If you would, turn with me to the book of Acts in your Bibles, smartphones. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Book of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We'll pick up reading in verse 1. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, or roughly three in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter says these very, very famous words. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the name of who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, never walked before in his life. Verse eight, so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. Verse nine, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled, everybody say filled, with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Lord, we love you tonight, Jesus. We love you. And we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the true knowledge of you tonight, Jesus, in this place, that your word would come and be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Holy Spirit, you are invited. Come and minister to us tonight that your truth may triumph over the lies of the enemy in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, okay, the first thing I want to say tonight about this life lived in community is a life lived in community is first and foremost a life lived in devotion. In devotion, Webster's defines devotion in a few different ways. The first one is this, devotion is the fact or state of being ardently or enthusiastically dedicated and loyal. Number two, devotion is a religious exercise or practice other than or in addition to the regular corporate worship of a congregation. And number three, my favorite, religious fervor. Religious fervor. And for tonight, I don't like the word religious. We're going to say Jesus fervor tonight. Holy Spirit fervor. We're talking about devotion. It's an enthusiastic intensity and passion 
Holy Spirit fervor inside of us. Now, what's not lost on me in this passage in Acts 3 is the first verse. Peter and John, Peter and John as friends, as co-workers going together, going together to the temple, to the church to pray. And realistically, in the context of what's going on in the church at this time, they knew that they were going to have a built-in audience of hundreds, if not thousands of people around the temple. So they were going to be bringing the word. What's not lost on me when we're talking about devotion is Peter and John together going to the temple to pray and to bring the word at three in the afternoon. Why is it not lost on me? Because this is Peter and John. Peter and John had walked with Jesus Years and years and years of walking with Jesus. Then Peter and John, in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes down. As we saw in Acts chapter 2. They were there, and what does it say in Acts chapter 2? Peter stands up and addresses the crowd. And it says, instantly, thousands were saved. This is Peter and John, who instantaneously were pastors of a megachurch. Think about it. After one prayer, I mean, after one sermon, they're pastors of a megachurch thousands. And then what happens in Acts chapter two is that we see the beauty of the early church uh, uh, transfolding right there before us as they were giving, sharing, loving. And it says that numbers were being added to them daily. So we're talking about Peter and John here. We're talking about devotion. Peter and John were not resting on yesterday's devotions. You guys hear me in here? Peter and John were not resting on yesterday's devotions. And boy, if anyone could, if anyone could just say, hey, I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna take a break, I'm gonna take a sabbatical maybe for the rest of my life because I walked with Jesus for three years. Oh, by the way, did I mention I was in the upper room? Oh, by the way, if, if, that, if that wasn't enough, um, I preached one sermon and then there was a mega church. If anyone, if anyone could have stopped and rested on the devotion of yesterday, it was them. So I'm not overlooking the first verse, which could be so casually overlooked here, that Peter and John, pillars, apostles in the church, those who had the authority were going together, were going together to church to pray and to bring the word. You know, it's Peter and John, and really, that, that's all fine and good because it's Peter and John, and that's what they're supposed to do, right? I mean, they are the leaders of the church. They are the apostles. They are the authority over the church. And of course, if anyone is going to have some type of Jesus, Holy Spirit fervor, it's going to be Peter and John. So then it begs this question. It begs this question. What does devotion look like for you and for me? We hear devotion in the church world a lot, but what does devotion look like for you and me? We're not Peter and John, but what does it look like for you and I? Let's break it down even more practically and get this into our lives. What does it look like for the single mom working two jobs? 
for the husband who works 70 hours a week in the oil field or some other career? What does it look like for the parents who both work full-time and they've got two, three, four, five kids, which is very appropriate here at SOMA, and they've got to feed, educate, and parent their kids? What does it look like for the person who just went through the most tragic loss in their life? What does it look like for the person who seemingly stayed in a season, a valley season in their life? What does devotion look like then? That's Peter and John. Okay, I, I get it. But what does devotion look like for you? Man, I work all the time. I've got this, that, and the other. Two soccer practice, swimming lessons. The list goes on and on and on. When I was 20, I moved to Dallas to just continue going to college. And when I moved there, I started going to a church called Shady Grove Church, and they had a phenomenal college ministry. And they had a wonderful pastor there, who a uh, college pastor who I became friends with. And, you know, in that season of life, like other seasons of life, it's a time where uh, college aides are asking, you know, why am I on this earth? Uh, what is my calling in this life? What is the will of the Lord for me? What are God's purposes and plans? And there's, there's questions, and, you know, uh, and what, what it, why am I here? And he knew that, and we would talk about those things, but he would always tell us this, whether it was from the pulpit or one-on-one, he would say, Marvin, here is the will of God for your life, the calling of God for your life, the purpose and plan for God for your life. Obey the next thing. Obey the next thing. No matter how small or big, how easy or complicated, obey the next thing. And when you're done with that, obey the next thing. We know we have come to love him when we obey his commandments. Eugene Peterson, who uh, translated the message, he's written dozens of books with a pastor for 30 years. Um, I love his writings. And um, he wrote a book that I read a couple of times, and it was titled this, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the same direction. So if you're taking notes tonight, maybe some of you are live tweeting this, Sean Walter, I don't know. Maybe many of you are tweeting this. Here's a good one for you. Your life of devotion is a long obedience in the same direction. Here's another one for you, back to back. Every step of obedience is an arrival to deepening devotion to God. Every step of obedience is an arrival to deepening devotion to God. Every time you open your word, every time you pray, every time you choose love, every time you choose acceptance and forgiveness, every time you choose not to gossip, judge, complain, act immoral, think immoral, every step is an arrival at deeper devotion to God. Repentance, confession, acknowledging sin, repentance is deepening devotion and an arrival at deeper levels of devotion to God.
here's where it gets complicated, though. We're talking about devotion. God doesn't do second place. <laughs> God does not do second place. He doesn't understand it. It doesn't compute. It's not in his vernacular. God doesn't do second place, okay? And this is where it gets challenging because there are many things in our lives that we have to be devoted to. And those things that we're devoted to, man, they're slippery and they're sneaky and they can easily sneak up and slide up on us. And before we know it, all of a sudden that thing is on the throne of our hearts and God doesn't understand second place. How do we know he doesn't understand second place? The devil. The devil. Devil's in heaven. Leader of worship and music. Taking something for himself. Putting himself or something else in front of him. Um, I don't understand second place. I'm the God of all of this. The redeemer of it all. And it's there. I don't do second place. But we have these devotions to our careers, to making money, to getting ahead in life, to success, to recognition, to influence, and the list goes on and on. But those things can't be the primary devotion of our heart. Listen, I understand that maybe this can sound elementary, but it's this elementary thing that is like the key thing in our life when it comes to this long obedience in the same direction. God doesn't do second place. Second place and any other place after that means this. Idolatry is happening in our life. Idolatry is happening in our life. And sometimes idolatry can look, taste, and smell good. But it's not best. And we know there's a difference, right? It means there's, there is someone or something else that is taking residence on the throne of our heart and we have to change it. Now, this isn't just Marvin rhetoric here. This isn't Marvin philosophy, Marvin theology. Matthew six thirty three. it says this, seek first. Everybody say, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. What's interesting about this verse in 6.33 is in greater context there, he's telling us don't worry, don't have anxiety and stress about life. In other words... If I'm numero uno, number one, there you go, Tony, that's the Spanish for tonight for me. <laughs> number one in your life, in the throne of your heart, and everything else is secondary, then guess what? I'm going to take care of the rest of it. But let's back up a little bit. This isn't like a two-week commitment. This isn't like a few months or a couple of years. What is devotion, a long obedience in the same direction. You know, I've never seen a greater display of devotion than what I saw in the month of June and in the year of 1991. My mom, I didn't think I'd tear up, saying this story, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a little synopsis of this story. Um, some of you have heard it, I know. 
but in a one-month time frame, my mom, she lost her father, who was very young, to a, a tragic massive heart attack. A husband of 24 years who walked out on her and her family, my biological father, after 24 years for an affair and another woman. And we were living in a house that she had just designed and we had built, only lived there a few months. In a 30-day span, Thirty day span. Gone. Life turned upside down. So I'm ten years old at this time and I don't remember everything, but there are some key things that I remember. And what I remember is a woman who had a Bible open and tears pouring out over the pages of that Bible. What I remember is a woman who every day went before the Lord on her knees, and really for months, maybe even years, stayed in that place. What I remember is a woman who would go to Green Acres for divorce counseling, therapy, recovery, every time the doors were open to get help. What I also remember is a woman who continued to faithfully serve her family, and the church. Now, if anyone had an excuse to pause and say, this devotion thing, maybe I can pick that up in a couple of years. Or, you know, God, I've been serving you faithfully in your church for years and years and years, and I'm a little upset, and I'm going to try something new. If anyone could have done that, I think someone who experienced those things in 30 days could have done that, don't you think? But my mom probably could not have said these words at this time, but there was the Holy Spirit inside of her that assured her that, no, this devotion is a long obedience in the same direction. Not different directions. The same direction. And so she anchored into truth. She anchored into the church. And now you guys know her, the fruit of her life that has come about the past 20 plus years. That is a story, an example of great devotion in the midst of tragedy and crisis and the everything you know shattering before you. Every step of obedience is an arrival. You guys get this? Every step of obedience is a rival, an arrival to deepening devotion to God. The second thing is this. A life lived in community is a life lived in duty. And our duty is our commission And our commission is to bring heaven to earth. When the disciples asked, how how then should we pray? Well, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. We pray to the Father. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In other words, may that come here and kiss it and change everything over and over and over again. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20, many of us know the scriptures on the Great Commission. And I want, to, I want you to listen to the duty that is declared here from Jesus. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want to just pause right there for a second. I want you guys to look at me. I think maybe we can struggle with this from time to time when we feel like there is some type of possession or oppression or greater or lengthier seasons of difficulty and trial and struggle in our life. But I want you to look at that. All authority, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let me tell you, when Adam and Eve fell, that released, that released Satan and, and his wrath on this earth, okay? And that happened for thousands and thousands of years. But, but, when Jesus hung on the cross and he said that it is finished, when he buried, resurrected, and ascended, everything that was handed over authority to the enemy was taken back in the instant. And at that point in time, for the past 2,000 plus years, all authority in heaven and earth is the one who you guys are devoted to. In every aspect, no matter how large or small in your life, every bit of authority is his. He took it all back with the act of the cross. Receive that tonight in the places where there's debate and struggle and disbelief. Receive that authority in your life tonight to be victorious. Amen? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, it's duty. Go, therefore, and make disciples, more duty, of all nations, baptizing them, more duty, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, more duty, to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's jump back into Acts 3 here, and we're going to start in verse 2, and I'm going to read through verse 5 again, because there's something I really want us to lay hold of and grab tonight. Verse, verse 2 of chapter 3, and it says, A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they daily laid at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Guys, I want us to catch something here that Peter and John caught in this moment. There is a world crying out around us. In this situation, it was a lame man asking for alms. There is a world that looks like friends, family, co-workers, the community around you that is crying out around us. Many times, even like in this situation, they don't even know what they're crying out for. We understand this, right? We understand this. The first thing we have to do in this duty of ours is exactly what Peter and John did. Stop and pay attention. Stop and pay attention. 
Again, guys, this is Peter and John, instantly the leaders of the mega church. This guy had been laid by the gate for years. Are you guys hearing this? For years and years and years. And they hear him this time and they stop and they pay attention long enough to hear what he's saying. Do we stop and pay attention long enough to hear what our friends, what our family, what people in this congregation, what our community around us is saying and screaming? What was that? Yeah, somebody, somebody asking for oh, no, no, no. oh well no no somebody's asking oh they were asking for money oh i'll go online and give some money here to this charity nothing wrong with giving monies to charities stop and pay attention to what's going on around us stop and pay attention When we do stop and listen, we understand that the world is crying out for help. And what they really, really need is the helper. They need the healer in their life. The world is crying out for money, but what they really need is a miracle in their life. And I want us to hone in here on this verse six, this very famous verse. Peter said this, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. If you're taking notes, please write this down. Miracles. Miracles happen at the crossroads of knowing who you are and who you're not. What you can give and what you can't. Because it's in that place of humility and dependency for the living God that beautiful things can transpire. Peter and John, right here, guys. This lame man from birth never walked. The guy needs healing in in his legs, but he's asking for money. You don't need money, you need healing. And they stop and they pay attention and he says this. Listen, I don't have that. That's not who I am, but let me show you who I am, and I'm going to give you this. People, we cannot be fake. We have to be who we are and not who we're not. We have to give what we have and not what we don't. Are you guys hearing this? We can't pretend. We can't be fake. It's in that place of understanding who you are and who you're not what I do have and what I don't have, that when we invite the name of Jesus into the situation, we're saying, here's the utter dependency that I have on this name, not who I am, but on this name, to bring this name into the scene and the situation so that it can transform everything. I don't have that, but I do have this. I'm going to dive a little deeper into this word, miracles. Webster's defines miracles as an extraordinary or extraordinary event manifesting. Everybody say manifesting. Divine 
intervention in human affairs. Divine intervention in human affairs. I want to pause and just go even further into miracles because I think when we hear the word miracles and healing and signs and wonders, it can create this level of uncomfortability and discomfort and lack of understanding and lack of belief. And it can lead us down a road to where we're in a place of like, you know, I don't even know if that is a reality for here and now. Is that even something that can be done? And I think it's because uh, not only this, but, but partially because um, we were raised, many of us, seeing things like televangelists on TV, someone like Benny Hinn who's got a mic and they blow into it and half the audience falls down slain in the spirit. And I think we get, honestly, I mean, it's a little comical. I think we've just are tainted like, is that, is what I, is that what I just saw? Is that miracles? Is that, is that signs in one? Is that healing? And so that, like there's this kind of disconnect there. And maybe you have been someone who's stepped out in a situation and prayed for someone for healing and it didn't happen immediately or maybe at all. And so discouragement, unbelief sets in. And those things are realities in our life. But here's the thing I want to say tonight to you about miracles. Is God is supernatural. God is supernatural. He always has been, he currently is, and he always will be supernatural. He can't not be supernatural. We see it in this thing that we call the word of God, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. We've even seen it in our lives and those in the lives around us. God is supernatural. And, but, okay, that's kind of a little bit philosophizing. Let's bring this down to like rubber meets the road. Okay, miracles. Let's do that. Let's make it very practical for us. Your birth, your physical birth was a miracle. Any mom say amen to that in here? Your birth was a miracle. Your current breath, everyone breathe in and breathe out. It's a miracle. The preservation of this over millennia is a miracle. And the greatest miracle of all, I mean, the greatest miracle for anyone is that we are saved, amen? Salvation. That's where miracles start. That's like 1A right there, salvation. I want to ask you in this passage that we are here in Acts 3, what miracle did Peter and John perform in this passage? What miracle did they perform? Not one. Look closely at what Peter and John did. And what they did is exactly what we are supposed to do in our duty to the Lord. Stop, pay attention, Pray and bring in the name of Jesus to any and all situations. The name that is above every 
other name. The name that always has been, currently is, and always will be supernatural. Not Peter, not in the name of John, not in the name of Paul, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then you invite him to church. That's what they did. Stop, pay attention, introduce the name of Jesus into the situation. You got coworkers at work, they're always talking about, oh man, this is terrible, or I've got this, or whatever. You say, hey, can we take, can I pray for you? Right then and there, invite the name of Jesus into the situation. Any situation, heaven to earth, heaven to earth, to meet that situation and change it. You guys following what I'm saying here? Yes, he used Peter and John. They were the ones that were in that story. But there would be no miracle, no miracle, had the name above every other name not been called upon. When he was inserted into the story, it changed the man's life. And you know, really, the greatest miracle in the story can be very easily overlooked. Do you know that the greatest miracle in that story of the lame man is not his physical healing? It's not. It's not his physical healing. It says in verse seven, he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Verse eight, so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. The greatest miracle in this story is that this man immediately recognized the name of Jesus and gave his life to him and went to church with him. He had been physically healed and restored, yes, but even better, he had been spiritually restored in an instant. The greatest miracle in the story is the fact that this man, who had never walked, laid daily at the temple since his birth, could jump up and recognize this was in the name of Jesus. Folks, we don't perform miracles. We stay devoted and in this place of true, fervent, enthusiastic passion and intensity for him. And then we have a duty within that devotion to stop, pay attention, invite Jesus onto the scene And then say, you know what, hey, why don't you come and be a part of God's great community, the church? That's what happened in this story. That's the story of the lame man. Our duty is our commission, and our commission is to bring heaven to earth. Our duty is our commission, and our commission is to bring heaven to earth in every situation that is possible for us to do it. Bring the supernatural to the natural. Amen. The third and last thing is this. A life lived in community is a life lived in destiny. When we live a life of devotion and duty to the Lord, then the natural fruit of that is the unlocking. It's the unlocking of destiny in our life and those around us. You guys think about this. Have you ever 
had a conversation with someone or read a certain book or attended an event, and at some point at the event or in reading that, bo- that book or in the interaction with that person, there was like this revelation. There was like this unlocking. It was like you felt wind in the sails and you were propelled forward. It was like a slingshot type feel. The Bible calls it stones of remembrance times. There was this unlocking. It was like your destiny was unfolding before you. Has anybody experienced that in your life here? Yeah, good. We're in the right place, four of you. It's awesome. That's what happened in this passion, in this passage. The devotion and duty of Peter and John released God's kingdom in a real and tangible way in three different groups. Three different groups of people were, were affected by the devotion and duty of Peter and John in this short 10-verse passage. The first one was them. Destiny released in them. Yes, they had been a part of a lot, walked with Jesus, upper room experience, now leading a megachurch. But think about this man, this lame man, who they had seen for sure many times But now they invite Jesus into this man's life and he is instantly healed. Do you think that there would be maybe some type of unlocking inside of them? Some type of wind in the sails? Some type of encouragement and movement forward in their life? I think it goes without saying that would be true. Destiny unfolded in their life at that moment of healing. The second and most obvious one, where destiny was released, was in the lame man. Never walked, always laid by the gate. Maybe he'd been prayed for before, I don't know. Whatever age he was, two men come along. He gives them their attention. He receives a prayer, and instantly... The miracle of miracles happens in his life. And now he's walking, leaping, praising God and going to church. I would call that, I think, a release of destiny in this man's life. All from the duty and devotion of Peter and John. And the third group was the crowd. At least hundreds, maybe thousands. In this place at that time, in the greater context of the passage here. Maybe they had seen a miracle before, maybe they had not. But the Bible tells us this in verse 11. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to the lame man. Wonder and amazement, destiny released in their life. And then it goes on, if you keep reading on in chapter three, Peter and John address the crowd again and give them the opportunity to receive the Lord. Many, many more receive the Lord there. And again, another shot, another example of destiny unfolding due to the devotion and duty of two people. A life lived in community is a life lived in destiny. I was debating whether to share the story tonight, but 
I think I will, and we have a few minutes for it. Um, I was living in Dallas. I was 20, 21, and um, I had finished two years of college and been accepted to the University of Texas at Arlington to finish my bachelor's degree. Now, what you need to know is that 19 is when I had uh, an encounter with the Holy Spirit in the back of a church and when I surrendered my life to the Lord, man, I bawled my eyes out. That was my time of giving him lordship over me and I was on the war path for the kingdom. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like I wanted Jesus. We're talking about devotion. I was devoted, okay? So I wasn't sure that UT Arlington and what I was studying was the thing for me. So my good, good friend who's now my boss, He's still a good, good friend, but he's just my boss too. <laughs> um, he was, he was um, an executive pastor at a large church in Hampton, Virginia. And um, he'd gotten to know me pretty well. And at that church, they also had a Bible college and a discipleship program called Master's Commission. So he sent me brochures and information about it. And I began to pray about it. Spring break, I went up there and visited, kind of got a behind-the-scenes look. And I felt from the Lord that this was right, but it was such a <laughs> innocent uh, uh, primary place in my life where it's like, God, I just know I want you, I love you, and everyone tells me I need discipleship, and this is called a discipleship school, so I should probably go. <laughs> that, was, that was really the, the, the spiritual side behind it. Um, and so I go, and... We leave out in September to go to the school. Elias is riding with me. I'm driving my truck out there. And for the first several hours of the journey out there, man, I'm just a complete mess. I mean, just crying, boohooing, questioning, uh, uh, not believing that this is the right thing, you know, and all of these different, you know, just lies of the enemy, lies of the enemy, lies of the enemy. But yet there was something inside of me that just kept carrying me there to Hampton, Virginia. And so there I was, 21, making the biggest decision of my life to go 21 hours across the country where I only knew one person, didn't really know what I was getting into, but there was just something inside of me that just said, it's the right thing. It's the right thing. And so I get there, and within days, I, I realize God just confirms over and over again that I am in the right place that I am in the right place. The biggest decision I'd ever made in my life, he had confirmed just within days. And you know, I, I tell you that story for this reason. I felt that that was just that huge decision. And really, it doesn't matter how big or small the decision is, but I felt that it was the obedient decision. It was the right thing to do. It was the spirit-led decision. That was part of my devotion, my long obedience in the same direction at that time. And here's the reality. And, and this has nothing to do with me, but five people from my hometown and home church ended up going to that school, okay? So remember, we're talking about devotion, duty, and destiny. The unlocking of things in our life and other people's life. Making that hard decision of devotion and duty to go and do that, five people ended up from my hometown going there to that school. All five, okay, 
I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. But all five found their spouse in that school or that church or in that town. All five of them. And there's some in this room right now who are one of those five. Guys, we are talking about, please hear this story. That, that had, I just chose to go to a school. I didn't know what was going to come in the aftermath. But listen, every decision, every single one of them is an arrival. It's an arrival. Every step of devotion is an arrival. And that devotion and that duty releases destiny. And that destiny is a ripple. Okay? It is a ripple effect. Let me say it like this. You don't do your devotion and duty alone. It never only affects you. It always has an effect. It's either positive or negative. It's either godly or it's not. In this story, these people meeting their wives and now they have their families and all of that stuff, the ripple effect, look at the destiny that was unlocked from just simple devotion into the call of duty on my life. I had no idea. No idea. If we're gonna live in community, okay, that's the topic, okay, if we're going to live in community, then we have to be honed in and taking serious this life of devotion, a long obedience in the same direction, this life of duty. Stop. Pay attention. Invite the name of Jesus into every situation. Bring people to church. And watch the release of destiny that happens in your life, in the lives of those around us.